0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome we. everybody. Episode yeah. 5. Yes, 67 of the podcast. It is to America. The Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. August 8th 2022 people I hope everybody's doing well I hope everybody is having a great day and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Eratora sports podcast and this puppy is indeed loaded as I just said it is August 8th we are no longer in spring we are no longer in early summer we are three weeks away from the start of college football season. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to open the show with college football. And what I'm going to do is discuss the most intriguing teams in college football this year, right? Alabama and Ohio State are at the top, but it feels like there is a there is a group, excuse me, of fascinating teams below them that aren't going to win a championship, might not even make a playoff, but just fascinating. We'll talk about USC, why they're so interesting, why Nebraska, Texas, Uh, Texas A&M, even a school like Clemson that had so much success struggled last year. We will get into the eight most interesting teams in college football. We'll do four off the top. We'll break it up, take a quick break, uh, come back and do the back four. And then from there, we'll actually talk a little basketball. There isn't a ton going on in basketball right now, but what I would say, we have foreign tours. Remember, college basketball teams can take a trip overseas once every four years and we are in the heart of them. Uh, Kentucky plays this week Arkansas plays this week we'll preview those two teams Auburn has actually played two games and looks very good so far Uh, uh, Oklahoma has played a few games so a lot of interesting things going on overseas in college hoops that is to wrap the show but to start the show let's talk a little college football and with that said let's get to college football and the topic of the day and let's just jump right in right because I I said it a minute ago But we are now, it is August 8th, 2022. It is not June 11th. It is not July 17th. It is not spring. It is not early summer. And we don't need something crazy to happen in college football for us to talk about it, right? In May, yeah, maybe we need Nick Saban to say something crazy about Jimbo Fisher to get us kind of get the juices flowing. Or Jordan Addison to hit the transfer portal at the last second. But in August, we are now three weeks away from our first games of college football, and three weeks from today, I will have full reaction to week zero in college football, obviously only a few games, but Nebraska plays Northwestern, my UConn Huskies play Utah State a week before Utah State plays Alabama, so we are going to have things to react to on this show related to college football, and so we don't, we could just jump right in. And what I want to talk about today, over the last couple weeks, we've hit on a lot of different topics in college football, biggest week one games, um, you know, biggest storylines in the SEC before SEC media days. Today, what I want to do is I want to hit on what I deem to be the eight most interesting teams in college football coming into this year. And you're probably sitting there saying, Torres, why are we talking interesting teams? It is because to me, this year, there are more teams that probably aren't going to win the championship that I am more interested in than ever before, right? In, in other sports, you know, we kind of focus in solely on the teams that have a chance to win it all. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, college basketball, whatever. But college football, I think we all kind of know Alabama's at the top, Ohio State's right behind them. But whether it is because of all the coaching changes, coaching changes at Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Miami, USC whether it's because of the NIL stuff, whether it's because of the transfer portal stuff, whether it's because of high school recruiting, it feels to me as though there are more interesting teams that are not necessarily going to win the national championship than I can ever remember. And so what I want to do is I want to get into the top eight teams that I deem to be the most interesting. We'll do four, take a quick break, come back and do the second four. But there are more than I ever can remember. And so let's jump into it and let's start With the number one most interesting team in college football to me, it is, drumroll please, the USC Trojans. And listen, we've talked USC a ton this offseason, last season with all the coaching changes, but a couple things come to mind with me with USC. First of all, I've lived in LA, as I said on Friday's show, for about 10 years, and I don't even have to, living here really is, is irrelevant to this conversation, But USC, I do think we can all agree that when USC is operating at its highest levels, it is one of the few programs that can operate at a level similar to Alabama, similar to Ohio State, similar to whoever, Georgia, Oklahoma. But obviously, we are a very, very, very far ways away from USC being that type of program. And so why it's interesting I think it's fascinating because we have the new head coach in Lincoln Riley. Everybody's excited. He's killed in the transfer portal. But I also think there's a bigger gap between what realistic expectations are and what the fans and what the casual college football fan expects from USC. And so when I look at USC, I think we can all talk about the bluster of Lincoln Riley and we'll get to it in a minute. And I'm so excited to see him as the USC head coach. I went to the USC spring game a few months back. But when I look at USC, I think you have to start at the beginning, and you have to start with the fact, this was a really, really bad football team last year, okay, I think we kind of lumped them in with LSU and Florida and this and that, LSU went 6-6 six and six in the SEC, Florida went 6-6 six and six in the SEC, USC went 4-8 and eight in the Pac-12, and here's the crazy part, Most of those games were not even competitive, okay? And I know because I was on Fox Sports Radio for a good chunk of those games. I host the late night show on Fox Sports Radio. I had to sit through the abomination that was USC football last year. How bad was USC? Here's a couple of the scores from last year. 14-point loss to Stanford at home. 18-point loss to Oregon State. And I know Oregon State was better. Shout out Jonathan Smith. 18-point loss to Oregon State at home. 15-point loss at Arizona State, 29-point loss to UCLA, which was better last year, but USC cannot lose to UCLA by 29 points. And so I went back, looked it up on Sunday morning. Eight losses, seven of them. There was only one that was within a touchdown score. So seven of them were by eight points or more. They didn't just lose. They weren't even competitive. And so that's where Lincoln Riley is starting. But also, we do have to acknowledge everything that Lincoln Riley has done this offseason. And I think you can, we could probably agree, he probably has had more success in the transfer portal than anybody this offseason. Frankly, obviously, anybody in the history of college football, since this was really the first really big transfer portal season. But I went ahead and looked at their depth chart. I am blown away by how many transfers this team decided to bring in this offseason. Here is who we can expect from USC to be starting or playing meaningful snaps that transferred in this offseason. Quarterback Caleb Williams, I think we all are probably pretty familiar with his work, was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Their top two running backs, Travis Dye from Oregon, Austin Jones from Stanford, both transfers. Top four wide receivers, potentially all transfers. Obviously Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikov winner from Pitt, Mario Williams, who came with Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, Uh, On top of that, Brendan Rice, Jerry Rice's son from Colorado, and a kid named Terrell Bynum from Washington. Top four wide receivers. Starting left tackle, transfer. Two guys that if they're not starting, they're going to play major snaps on the defensive line, transferred in. Their starting linebacker, uh, middle linebacker, Eric Gentry, from Arizona State, transferred in. Their best corners, two of them, transferred in. So you just go down the list, and it's absolutely unbelievable. And so when I look at USC, again, what it comes down to with me and why they're so interesting is because I think we see Lincoln Riley, and I think we see all of the high-profile, big-name talent that he's brought in, and I think we all just assume it's going to go from 4-8 and to 11-1 or 12-0, and they're going to be back in the playoff mix. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but the numbers out of Vegas, they are one of the hottest teams for national championship futures in Vegas, which I do think is burning your money. And that's why I'm so interested in this team. Because when I look at this team, one, I do give Lincoln Riley credit, did great in the portal. I went to the spring game, as I said, and they really did look like a different team. Disciplined, accountable. Obviously, Caleb Williams is awesome. This was before Jordan Addison got there. But I also look at it and I say this. If you need to bring in that much talent out of the transfer portal, it means you essentially inherited nothing. And then on top of that, you're just an injury or two away from really not having a ton of great depth anywhere. And so you look at the schedule. I don't think they're beating Utah at Utah. They play Notre Dame at home. They play UCLA, who I think is going to be pretty good this year. Now, they do avoid Oregon. But I look at this USC team and why they're so intriguing. I don't think there's a bigger gap between what casual fans, USC fans expect and what I actually think is realistic, this feels like a 9-3 and team to me that I think a lot of people expect to go 11-1. Let's keep it going with the most intriguing teams in college football. Number two, kind of in the same vein, you know, we're basically reliving the Rose Bowl from 2006 or whatever. Number two is the Texas Longhorns, and why Texas is, is one of the most intriguing is because Texas is always intriguing this time of year because crazy stuff is always happening in Texas. You go back to last year, let's not forget that place was Animal House. It was insane. Five-game losing streak in the middle of the season. They lose to Kansas in double overtime at home, just an abomination, 40. I think they gave up 50 points. They had a player recording a coach yelling at them on the bus that got leaked out. I think the player thought that he was going to be a, a hero for, uh, for exposing the Texas coaching staff Instead, pretty much everybody made fun of him and basically said how soft they were. Oh, by the way, we also had the assistant coach, Jeff Banks, whose girlfriend was a stripper who had a monkey as a pet that attacked somebody when they came to the house. Yes, that really did happen. I did not make that up, but it just speaks to how crazy Texas is. And so then you go into the offseason. We know Steve Sarkeesian has to make a major overhaul. And the combination between the Texas brand, Steve Sarkeesian's brand, maybe a little NIL it, like USC, absolutely allowed Texas to completely flip over their roster this offseason. First of all, top five recruiting class in the country. I think the spots that were especially impressive for Texas, offensive line, two five-star offensive linemen, those are the kinds of guys that you need to compete at the highest levels of college football, but they're freshmen, right? On top of that, transfer portal, they're another one. This is gonna be a big theme. Absolutely crushed it in the transfer portal. Brought in Quinn Ewers, who, you know, we can we can do the song and dance about no, we don't know who the starting quarterback is. You don't bring in a five-star, former number one high school player in the class who played at Ohio State last year. You don't bring him in if you're not planning on playing him. So Quinn Ewers is in. Isaiah Nayor, a wide receiver from Wyoming who was all Mountain West, is in. Then you bring in two transfers from Alabama that played under Steve Sarkeesian. Ajayi Hall, a wide receiver. Jaleel Billingsley, a tight end also Ryan Watts, a cornerback at Ohio State, from Ohio State. And so I think when everybody looks at Texas, they see the significant talent upgrade, the significant portal upgrade, but I see a couple different things. One, what I see is most of where Texas's help came from is not where they actually need help. It's a quarterback, it's a couple wide receivers, it's a tight end, Texas was awesome on offense last year. They didn't need help on offense. They needed help on the defensive side of the ball, and I don't know how much better they got there. Two, keep in mind, the two players who came from Alabama were very vocal, very public. Um, what's the right word? Uh, discipline problems. I mean, nothing. I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But just do a quick Google search. Those guys, Nick Saban kind of was, was up to here with them. And I, I you know I know this is an audio podcast, but I'm doing the up to here uh, thing with, with my hand over my head. Three, let's not forget, this is still a program that had discipline issues, accountability issues in the springtime when one of their veterans basically said, we got too many young guys that think they've already made it. We've got too many young guys that want to be down on State Street uh, down there in Austin, having a good time rather than focusing on football. And so I get the excitement for Steve Sarkeesian. I get the excitement for the Texas Longhorns. I also still see a program that's trying to build an identity, trying to build a culture, trying to build a, a team with the accountability of Alabama and Georgia and no, you know, no entitlement or whatever. So I just find them to be very interesting. What I would also say is a couple other things. One, they play Alabama in week two, Remember. Alabama travels to Texas, week two, maybe the biggest non-conference game in college football. What happens if Texas just gets embarrassed and annihilated in that game? What happens for the program? What happens for the the talk around the program? And what happens for a bunch of guys that ha- did not have success last year in the face of adversity? I'd be a little bit worried about that. What happens if they, they, they lose a couple games they shouldn't? Is this a team that can shake off a bad performance? To use coach speak, there are a lot of teams that let one loss turn into two. In other words, you lose a game you shouldn't, and it just snowballs from there. Is this a team that can get past that kind of stuff? These are the things that I want to see. And what I would also say is this, and I'm not picking on Texas. I'm just saying this is why they're intriguing. Because you look at the schedule, I, I, th- I think they could be 10-2 and 2 very easily. But I think there's also this notion, first of all, it could just go off the rails. Nobody predicted them to lose to Kansas last year. Nobody predicted them to lose to West Virginia last year. Nobody predicted them to lose to Iowa State last year in the manner in which they did it in a year where Iowa State was disappointing. So it could go off the rails. It could be really good. It could go off the rails. Here's the other thing that I find interesting. I think there's kind of this notion that, oh, you know, they signed Arch Manning and everything's going to be fine and that bought Steve Sarkeesian time. Let's see if it bought Steve Sarkeesian time if they're four and five going into the final few weeks of the regular season. Let's see if it bought Steve Sarkeesian time if, you know, they take another weird loss to West Virginia, to Kansas, if they get annihilated by Alabama, 49-0. Remember, Arch Manning hasn't signed anything. It's easy to say, oh, he bought Sark all this time. Well, Arch Manning is a smart kid. He's part of the Manning family. And they don't do anything dumb over there. And so, if, if if Texas is four and five, or three and six, or three and two, you, you know, whatever, and he feels like the program's going in the wrong direction, he will bail. I mean, he's not going to commit to a place that, that's a, a Bernie building. So, that is why they're intriguing because they could go 10 and two. They could also have a scenario where if things fall apart, they fall apart in the most colossal way ever at Texas. You know, I think they're somewhere probably more in like the 8-4 and four type range. They're not beating Alabama. I don't think they're beating Oklahoma, who I actually do like this year. And there's a couple other intriguing games, including Baylor late in the year, at Baylor, at Oklahoma State, things like that. Next team, most intriguing. Number three, how about the Nebraska Cornhuskers? And I talk about Nebraska all the time. I said it on the College Football Betting Show, which if you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. But I've said it on this show. I've said it on, on that show. I do have a soft spot for Nebraska in my heart because when I first became a college football fan, I think most people in the early to mid-90s, you know, that that, that watch college football in the early to mid-90s, Nebraska was Alabama. I don't remember exactly the first year I started watching college football, but three out of the first four years I watched it, Nebraska won the national championship. And so to see their downfall has been surreal the last couple weeks, the last couple years. But then on top of that, last year specifically, was just like, it was unbelievable to watch up close and in person. This was a team, I know everybody knows the stats, but I got to say it again. They went three and nine. They lost nine games by nine points or less. Eight games by seven points or less. And on the season, they actually outscored their opponents, which is incredible to think about when you factor that they went three and nine on the season you look at who they lost to and how they lost it was unbelievable okay so Nebraska these are some of the losses that Nebraska had last season and I know most of you know but I gotta go over this because it is absolutely incredible okay so they played Oklahoma Oklahoma wasn't great last year but they did win 10 games Nebraska loses to them by seven on the road Nebraska loses by three on the road to Michigan State in overtime Michigan State of course wins 11 games Nebraska loses by three to Michigan, who made the college football playoff at home. They lose by seven to Iowa, who won the Big Ten West in a game that they had the lead going into the fourth quarter. They lose by seven at Wisconsin. They lose by nine to Ohio State, and they were driving late in the fourth quarter to take a lead before Ohio. Before there was some weirdness. Ohio State goes the other way, scores to put the game away. And so this is why they're the most fascinating, because on the one hand, it was a disaster, on the other hand, I mean, they, they were really a couple plays away from being at worst 6-6, six and six, and at best like 7-5, and 8-4 and four last season. To Scott Frost's credit, I'll also say this. He, like, like the other guys that we've mentioned, really good in the portal this offseason. You look at some of the guys that, that Nebraska brought in, uh, just really talented players. Casey Thompson, quarterback that started his career at Texas. People forget Casey Thompson actually led the Big 12. Led the Big 12 in pass touchdowns last season. They brought in on top of him, Trey Palmer, wide receiver from LSU, former four-star. Marcus Washington, wide receiver, Texas. O- O'Shawn Mathis, one of, maybe the best defensive player out of the portal. Everyone thought he was going to Texas. He went to TCU, goes to Nebraska instead. Kane Williams, a safety from Alabama. So disappointing year last year, just a, uh, uh, not even disappointing is not even the right word, it was just like an unbelievable, just how do you even deal with this uh, season last year, crushing the portal, but we know what's at stake for Scott Frost, and by the way, credit Scott Frost as well, he made changes on his coaching staff, he is no longer calling plays, Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator from Pitt, was brought in to handle that, but why they're fascinating is because, listen, Scott Frost, we we know the deal, right, And, and in a lot of ways, credit to Nebraska, Nebraska could have done what everybody else would have done at this time last year and fired him. Instead, what they said was, you're going to come back, we're going to restructure your contract, we're going to lower your buyout, but you're so close, we're going to give you one more shot to get this right before we blow this whole thing up. And so I give them credit, but his leash is thin, and remember, they do play week zero in a game that everybody is going to be watching against Northwestern in Dublin on Fox 1230 Eastern Time. And so when I sit there and look at Nebraska, On the one hand, I could see Scott Frost doing pretty well and keeping the job. Now, we haven't seen anything that would indicate that that's going to happen. But what I would also say is if you look at his contract, the buyout actually goes down October 1st, okay? So they play Northwestern week zero, and then they play Oklahoma later that month. I'll tell you what, you start two and two going into October, there's a pretty good chance he might not survive very much longer. That is why Nebraska is intriguing at number three. Really quickly, number four, we'll take a quick break. LSU, you know, LSU has a lot of USC vibes. Um, you know, I think we all kind of think of LSU as a certain way. They were not that last year. They went 6-6 six and six overall. Obviously, uh, a decision was made to let go of Coach O. Uh, disappointing, bummer, but I get it. Uh, you can't go 6-6 six and six at LSU, and obviously the, the, the mystique of that undefeated championship season in 2019 was long gone. Brian Kelly comes in. That alone makes them intriguing, but what also makes them intriguing is, like USC, they did not inherit much. This was a, remember, LSU, the last time we saw them, they played a bowl game against Kansas State uh, after January 1st, very random bowl game in Houston. They had like 40-something scholarship players. They got destroyed by Kansas State. So Brian Kelly had to rebuild through the portal. To Brian Kelly's credit, he did a good job. And so you go back and look at this roster now, it's dotted with guys that they got in the portal. Quarterback, two quarterbacks technically out of the portal. Miles Brennan was an LSU guy, went into the portal. Brian Kelly got him to come out. Also got Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Beyond that, running back Noah Cain from Penn State. Uh, defensively, a couple guys from Arkansas, Greg Brooks, Joe Fouché, Fouché, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say his name properly, Um, you know, a couple guys there, a couple skill position guys, the one place that they seem to have plenty of talent is wide receiver, but when I look at this LSU team, a couple things stand out, one, the schedule is not easy, week one, they play that Sunday night against Florida State, and what's especially intriguing about that game is that it's a huge game for Florida State too, Florida State does not make this most intriguing team list, But Mike Norvell loses that game to a rebuilding LSU team in week one. Uh, He's going to have a lot of digging to dig out of after not making a bowl game each of his first two seasons. So Florida State in week one, their cross-division games, Tennessee at home, Tennessee's going to be really good this year, Uh, Florida on the road, and then the gauntlet through the SEC West is brutal as always. They do get Alabama at home, I don't know how much it matters, but they got to go to Auburn, they got to go to Arkansas, they got to go to A&M. Get Ole Miss at home, who's good? Tennessee, who I just mentioned. And what is interesting to me about LSU, why they are the most intriguing team. Keep in mind, over-under win totals. We talk about them all the time on College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Um, You look at their over-under win total for 2022, DraftKings has it at six wins. Six wins! And so why I bring it up is because DraftKings deems a successful season for Brian Kelly in year one to be seven and five. Here's the problem. You know who's not going to consider that a success? LSU fans. So it fe- this feels as though there may be a 7-5, and 8-4 and team if all goes well. LSU just fired a coach who won a national championship two years ago. That is why they are intriguing. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break, come back, hit the next four teams that I find to be the most intriguing. A couple really interesting ones going to make you think about them maybe in ways that you haven't. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, the single best sports auction website on the internet, at least in my opinion, Pristine Auctions and PristineAuctions.com. PristineAuctions.com is the most trusted memorabilia auction site on the internet with an a Better Business Bureau rating. Auctions on pristineauction.com start at just $1, and each day, there are over a 1,000 autographed items available, so you win signed, authentic signatures at affordable prices. In addition to the sports stuff, there are comic books, trading cards, action figures, great items to add to your collections. Before the show, you already know what I did. I went on pristineauction.com, and you will not believe what I saw. You guys know I'm a Yukon guy. Searched Yukon. Oh, there was all sorts of Jim Calhoun paraphernalia. UConn Huskies, pristineauction.com. Just search UConn, you find all sorts of good stuff. Kentucky fans went on there, searched, played around a little bit. Some autograph stuff from last year's team, John Calipari, Ty Ty Washington, who's now in the NBA, all at pristineauctions.com. Here's the best part. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today. And here is why I am so excited to work with PristineAuctions.com. Go ahead and get $10 off. When you win an auction, you get $10 off when you use the code TORRES after winning that auction. So PristineAuctions.com, make a bid. Win the auction because you're going to win. Everybody that listens to this show is a winner, baby. PristineAuctions.com, win. Use the promo code TORRES, $10 off. Your first win on pristineauctions.com. Again, pristineauctions.com. Use the promo code TORRES. We are excited to be working with pristineauctions.com.
1: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to. First of all, all, what I really want to do, thank you to Pristine Auctions, PristineAuctions.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome website. Again, was using it earlier today. Great stuff. Christmas time's not too far away. Birthdays, holidays, whatever. Pristineauctions.com. When you win, use the promo code Torres $10 off your first purchase. Do want to continue the conversation going forward on the most intriguing teams in college football heading into the 2022 season. And what I can tell you is, it's not often that we do an audible in the middle of the Aaron Sports Podcast. But obviously I prep my notes, I do my homework, I, whatever. And I did segment one. I obviously talked about Texas, USC, LSU, and Nebraska. And decided in between, rather than going straight into recording the second segment, let's go out for a bite to eat. Grab Mrs. T, we go out, get a bite to eat. And I see a guy at the restaurant that we're at, at the bar as a matter of fact. And he is decked head to toe in Oklahoma gear bigger guy you know kind of athletic looking guy and I said man I bet that guy played ball just kind of look like a guy that played ball you know at Oklahoma definitely had the the height the weight whatever and so I go up to him you know me I'm Mr. Personable and so I go up to him and I say hey man I hate to bother you but uh do you play ball at Oklahoma I mean you're literally Oklahoma shirt Oklahoma shorts uh uh crimson and cream sneakers he says, yeah, man, I played about a few years ago. No big deal. And I said, interesting. So I'm in L.A., and I said to him, I said, well, what do you think of Lincoln Riley? You think he's going to do well here? And I can't believe this happened. I tweeted about it, but here's what happened at lunch, middle of the day, Sunday. Yes, yesterday, as I was getting ready to record the segment of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. Guy, Oklahoma, head to toe, in Los Angeles. I asked him about Lincoln Riley. Looks me dead in the eye. And people... If you have a child in the car, I encourage you to turn down the radio for the next 30 seconds. Because he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. Again, I'm giving you one more chance. Turn down that radio if you want to. Looks me dead in the eye. He goes, Lincoln Riley. I don't fuck with that guy. I don't fuck with that guy. That is why we are going to talk about Oklahoma in, this, in the midst of this most intriguing teams. Because I'll tell you this. I actually am very intrigued by Oklahoma. I didn't know if they fit into this segment, but talking to this guy who used to play at Oklahoma, he did not play for Lincoln Riley, he played in the the old days with Bob Stoops, Brent Venables, the new head coach, ironically was an assistant coach when he was there. Talking to this guy made me realize just how much vitriol there still is at Oklahoma for USC and how in turn Oklahoma is so interesting not only to me but to the college football world as a whole because I'll be honest when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma you know early December of last year we all it was one of those if you're a sports fan you remember where you were when you found out that Lincoln Riley was leaving Oklahoma for USC we just talked about it a minute ago USC is one of those programs when they get it rolling they are they they have the chance to compete as high as anybody and we all wondered would they ever get back there And then Lincoln Riley leaves, and then you say, oh my God, USC is back. But when he left Oklahoma, something interesting happened, right? Because I think I would include myself among the many, many, many people who thought that when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, that it was all downhill from there. They're headed to the SEC. This guy doesn't think they can compete in the SEC. What are they going to do? All the players are going to leave and follow him to USC. And then what happened? go to a bowl game, dominate the bowl game, hire Brent Venables. And yeah, a few guys left the program. Caleb Williams, Mario Williams followed Lincoln Riley to USC. Another cornerback named Latrell McCutcheon, may have mentioned him last segment, followed him to USC. But for the most part, everybody stayed. Now we had other guys, Spencer Rattler probably wasn't gonna play anyway, leaves for South Carolina. Austin Stogner played for four years under Lincoln Riley, decides to leave. But for the most part, Most of the guys that were there stayed. And what that said to me was two things, really. One, they believe in the new coaching staff led by Brent Venables. And two, they believe in Oklahoma, the brand, the program, even heading into the SEC. And so why Oklahoma is so interesting to me is for a couple reasons. And we talked about it last week on where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Again, I thought they were going to I don't want to say I thought they were going to fall off a cliff. I thought they would struggle under Brent Venables. Well, one, he's recruiting at an insane level. Oklahoma currently has the number six recruiting class in the country. But two, beyond that, I actually really like his team this year. Everybody focuses on who left, Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler, this, that, the other thing. But here's who came in, and here's why I'm so intrigued. First of all, Lincoln Riley, you could criticize Lincoln Riley for whatever you want. To his credit, Lincoln Riley mostly left the cupboard full. 2021, their recruiting class was ranked number 10 in the country, according to 24-7 sports. 2019, number six ranked recruiting class in 24-7 sports. 2020, number 13, which means that the three recruiting classes prior to Lincoln Riley's departure, three in the top 15, two in the top 10, Brent Venables inherited plenty. But why I give Oklahoma credit, why I give Brent Venables credit, and why I find Oklahoma intriguing is because of what Brent Venables has done since. First of all, I think everybody knows Brent Venables, uh, defensive coordinator at Clemson for many years, had previously coached at Oklahoma, had previously coached under Bob Stoops. So him being one of the elite defensive coordinators, if not the elite defensive coordinator in college football, you'd think that the defense is going to take a step up this year under Brent Venables. Where I give him credit, though, and why I'm so interested in Oklahoma is because of the fact that he went out and he basically admitted, look, offense, that's not my side of the football. So what does he do? He goes out and hires Jeff Lebby, offensive coordinator from Ole Miss. Jeff Lebby was obviously coaching in the shadow of Lane Kiffin. He wants his own deal. Jeff Lebby comes in. He brings Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from Central Florida, who, oh, by the way, two years ago during COVID when he was healthy, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions. And so to me, Oklahoma's fascinating because I think everybody kind of has that mindset that I had in... Early January, mid January, or early December, mid December, maybe even late December of last year, where I said, I don't know if this Venables guy is going to do it. I think people still have that mindset. You know how I said everybody's overvaluing USC right now? I think they're undervaluing Oklahoma right now. DraftKings Sportsbook, we love working with DraftKings. They have the Oklahoma over under win total set at nine and a half for this year, which means that they think a good year for Oklahoma is 10 and 2. And a down year is 8-4, 9-3, whatever. Well, I look at Oklahoma. I think the defense is going to be improved under Brent Venables. I don't think the offense is going to be nearly as bad as people think without Lincoln Riley because they brought in Jeff Levy. And so why Oklahoma is interesting to me. Well, I think USC might be the most overvalued team in the country, I think Oklahoma is the most undervalued team. Brent Venables kept that roster together. Defense is going to be better. Offense, I think, will be better than people give it credit for. And I'll tell you this, I don't want to spoil the rest of the, 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 the segments and shows that I'm going to do in August, but when I put together my preseason college football playoff field, Oklahoma's going to be in it. When I make my big uh, preseason conference picks, Oklahoma's going to be my Big 12 champ. I love Oklahoma, I'm intrigued by Oklahoma, and the one thing I'll say, we'll find out if Brent Venables is going to coach, Can can coach. But if he can't, if, if, if Oklahoma doesn't have success, it's not going to be for a lack of talent and for a lack of structure that he put into place. Love pretty much everything Brent Venables has done since he got there. Shout out to the guy that I met at the bar who basically says, I don't F with Lincoln Riley. Let's keep it going. And I want to get to number five, or number six, I guess it would be, in the most intriguing teams in college football this year. Number six, let's head back to the Big Ten. Just talked about Nebraska. Now it's time for duh duh, 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 That's right. I'm talking hail to the victors, baby. I'm talking Michigan. I find Michigan to be fascinating. And I'll tell you full disclosure. I was going to talk Michigan State here. Uh, Michigan State is number nine. They got bumped out for Oklahoma. Michigan State's very interesting in their own right. But I think outside of Nebraska, in the Big Ten, the single most fascinating team in this conference is Michigan. And let me explain why. It's because if you had asked anybody the day the season ended last year, what Jim Harbaugh's approval rating would, would have been, it was the highest it's been literally since probably the day he was hired. Yes, they lost in the playoff to Georgia, but as we all know, Georgia was awesome, a historically great defense, and Michigan's coming off an incredible season, beat Ohio State for the first time in forever when Ohio State, you know, take out the year that they had an interim head coach, all that stuff, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, go to the first ever college football playoff, and Jim Harbaugh's approval rating was through the freaking roof. And then since then, he's basically done everything wrong. Okay, I've talked about it a lot, but it is worth reiterating here. Essentially, like 10 seconds after the college football playoff finishes, like Jim Harbaugh shakes Kirby Smart's hand and starts walking back to the locker room. All of a sudden, there's all these rumors about Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL. And here's the thing that we talked about on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Jim Harbaugh doesn't have an agent. So, when those rumors leak, those are coming from either Jim Harbaugh himself or someone very, 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 very close to Jim Harbaugh. Rumors are the Raiders are interested. Well, do a quick Google search. Does not appear as though the Raiders were ever interested in Jim Harbaugh. Maybe the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears never appeared to be very interested in Jim Harbaugh. That interview was done by Bill Polian, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. And uh, yeah, did not appear as though Jim Harbaugh was ever a candidate. And so you kind of think, okay, he did his little NFL thing, going to come back to Michigan, no big deal. Then what does he do? We've talked about a lot on this show. He goes and interviews with the Minnesota Vikings on National Signing Day in February. And so all of a sudden, your head coach goes and interviews on National Signing Day with the NFL, In a job where I can't speak to other people, but all my sources told me, he ain't getting that job. He might finish two, he might finish three, but they want Kevin O'Connell. They want the Rams assistant coach. And so now he's got to come back to Michigan with his tail between his legs. And what I said at the time, and I still believe it, Jim Harbaugh, last January and February, he was basically like Lenny in Of Mice and Men. Remember Mice and Men, Of Mice and Men? Lenny, he's the big guy. He's got the little mouse in his pocket, and he loves the little mouse, and he loves the little mouse, and then something makes him mad, and he squeezes the little mouse, and the little mouse dies. That was basically Jim Harbaugh after the college football playoff. He's got this beautiful thing, his program, his alma mater. It's never been better. The Jim Harbaugh brand's never been hotter. Remember, he gave back part of his salary last year to the athletic department. Everybody loves Jim Harbaugh. He's got a higher approval rating than whoever has the highest approval. I don't know. It would have been Oprah back in the day. I don't know who has the highest approval rating now. He, his approval rating was through the roof. And then what does he do? He goes in interviews, and then this offseason has just been weird. Comes back, tail between his legs, doesn't get the Minnesota job, Minnesota Vikings job. Comes back, and what happens? Offensive coordinator Josh Gattis leaves. Recruiting has been weird. Recruiting has been very weird. We've talked about it on this podcast. They had two elite quarterbacks in the state of Michigan. Lloyd Carr's grandson commits to Notre Dame. Okay, that one's a little weird. You know, he doesn't want to play in his grandfather's shadow, whatever. And then Dante Moore commits to Oregon. And of course, then it turns into, oh, it's NIL this, it's NIL that, blah, 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 blah. But I just bring it up to say that as I record here, Michigan has the 28th ranked recruiting class in the country. Michigan has zero top one hundred players committed in the country. They're behind Stanford. They're behind TCU. They're behind Iowa. They're behind Northwestern. They're behind Washington. They're behind Louisville. This is Michigan we're talking about. And so why they're fascinating, I don't know what to make of Michigan. Now I said it on the college football betting show. Credit to Harbaugh because they're basically 10 wins, nine nine and a half wins automatic since he's gotten there. Basically, every year they win 9 to 10 games in the regular season. But you're coming off a scenario where you beat Ohio State, where everybody loves you. Now, coming into this year, you got questions. You lost a ton off your defense, including two first-round picks, Aiden Hutchinson, Dax Hill, David Ajabo. Obviously, he had the unfortunate injury in the NFL draft uh, process, but that guy was basically an All-American. You had a veteran defense. Now it's young. Last year was supposed to be the bridge year till you get to J.J. McCarthy, the freshman quarterback. He gets hurt in the spring. Now is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Do you go back to Cade McNamara? I think Michigan's good again, 10-2, and 9-3, and three. but Jim Harbaugh, he had the world in his hand and he screwed it all up. That is why Michigan is number six on the most intriguing teams in college football list. Let's start to wrap up. Let's go back to the SEC, or actually let's Yeah, let's go back to the SEC. We had LSU earlier in the show. You're talking about an interesting team to me. I would say Texas A&M is right up there. And why Texas A&M is up there, and we've talked about it on this show, on this podcast before, it's because I don't think there's a single program in college football where the dichotomy, the difference between what the fan base expects versus what, the national audience expects is bigger it's just a very interesting deal because college football is really interesting right college football most places the the internal fan base the local fan base their expectations are unrealistic relative to what everybody else nationally says most local fan bases they want to go 12 and 0 if they don't fire the coach we're terrible and most people on the outside are like yeah you're not that good you shouldn't have those expectations Texas A&M, I believe, is the exact opposite. Texas A&M, I think most fans, and I could be wrong, A&M fans, I know you listen to this show, tell me if I'm wrong. But I look at A&M, and what I see is a fan base where most people kind of admit, you know, we have three quarterbacks, none of which has really taken meaningful snaps for Texas A&M. Haynes King, who obviously was the starter last year, got hurt in the second game, Uh Max Johnson, transfer from LSU. Connor Wegman, the uh, uh, freshman from the state of Texas who probably isn't quite ready yet. So I think most Texas A&M fans say, we don't really know who our quarterback is. And then on top of that, that freshman class that everybody's so excited about, they're super, super, super young. And most, you know, you might have a star here or a star there, but to expect them to be major contributors on a meaningful team it's probably a year away with a and And so that's why a and is interesting to me. It's because I think most fans understand we're really building towards 2023. Now, 2022, we can't go 4-8. and eight. You can't go 4-8 and eight if you're Jimbo Fisher. But if you go 9-3 and, and you have the right wins, I think most a and fans are going to be okay with it. Now, again, can't lose weird games. I don't know who that loss would be to. Um, you know, I'm just trying to uh, off the top of my head. I mean, obviously, AM is in is a weird situation because their schedule is not easy. It's not super hard, but it's not easy either. They actually play Miami at home uh, during the out-of-conference portion of the schedule. They do have a crossover game with Florida in College Station as well as a trip to South Carolina. So I don't know exactly what the what the wins and losses are, but what I would say is, yeah, you can't go 4-8. And if you go nine and three or eight and four with a loss to App State or South Carolina or to whoever, you know then there's cause for concern. But I think most people kind of understand we're a year away. But that's not how the outside feels. That's not how the outside feels. That's not how people outside of College Station feel. And that's why it's so interesting to me. What becomes of Texas A and M? I don't, they should start three and zero. They play Miami at home in week three. Then they go to play Arkansas in Dallas. That's, of course, a game that they lost last year. So that game is especially intriguing this coming season. But it is a weird deal where I, I just think the expectations are a lot different internally versus externally. But that doesn't change anything. Again, we talked about Texas earlier. If A&M is four and m is 4-4 and going into their last four, you know, no one's going to be calling for Jimbo's head. But people are going to be saying he's overrated, AM is this, AM is that, so they're fascinating. Finally, last team I want to get to. I do want to talk, we haven't talked to any ACC, and I told you I wasn't going to talk Florida State in this segment. The Clemson Tigers are fascinating to me, intriguing to me. And here's why. Because I think we all look at Clemson from last year, and we all sit there and say, oh, what a disastrous season for Clemson. And like, I get it, right? I mean... The expectation at Clemson is pretty established at this point. Is to win the ACC, go to the college football playoff, compete for a national championship. Clemson did not do that last year. For people who forget, Pitt won the ACC. They went to the Fiesta Bowl. They played Michigan State. They lost, but they were the ACC champs. And so where it gets interesting with Clemson is we all look at last year as just this disastrous season. But it really wasn't. We forget it now, but they won ten games last year. They went to the Cheez It Bowl and destroyed Iowa State. Wake Forest, who had a a, who won their division, played Clemson late in the year. Clemson destroyed them. Clemson beat Florida State at Florida State, and so we look at Clemson as this complete abomination. They went ten and three. Like, there are coaches in college football. We build statues for them if they go 10-3, and 3, and we're ready to say that Dabo's lost his touch and he's totally out of touch and all that good stuff. And what was especially interesting about Clemson last year, it really was a perfect storm of kind of everything going wrong at the same time. They had just an astronomical number of injuries during the year. Will Shipley, the starting running back, missed a bunch of time. He comes back, all of a sudden and the strangest thing happens. They have their leading rusher back they start playing well again. Brian Brezé, obviously a, a potential first-round pick in this upcoming NFL draft. He gets hurt early in the year. He's out for the year. So you lose players to injuries. You lose players to transfer in the middle of the season. That probably doesn't happen if you're winning and everybody's happy. But more than anything, you just weren't good at the quarterback position. DJ Uyla Gondale steps in for Trevor Lawrence. 56% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Not great at math. That ain't gonna get the job done, though not if you're competing for a national championship. And so why Clemson's especially interesting, you can probably do the math. It's because if they get great quarterback play this year, they can compete for a championship. I don't think they're better than Alabama. But you you step aside from Alabama? Ohio State's got big questions on defense. Georgia's got big questions on offense. Oklahoma has a new head coach. Utah is replacing most of its defense, defense, excuse me, the defensive line, defensive front. Oregon has a first-year head coach. You get past Bama, just about everybody else has some major, major, major flaws, and Clemson can compete with all of them. That's if they get great quarterback play. What's especially interesting about the quarterback situation, though, is that never forget, last year they really had no options outside of D.J. O'Hilogonlele. He was the guy that was supposed to be uh, uh, replacing Trevor Lawrence and this and that. Then a funny thing happened. He wasn't very good. They didn't have a backup plan. Well, this year, they got Cade Klubnik, five-star quarterback from the state of Texas. This year, they have an answer. This year, they have a backup. This year, they have an alternative if DJ Uyla does not work out. And so to me, why Clemson is fascinating is for two reasons. One, everything broke wrong for them last year. And if you listen to the college football betting show, you know darn well I'm a big believer that when that the the, the breaks kind of even themselves out, and so you kind of do you, you kind of start looking at it. The breaks are probably going to bounce Clemson's way this year. If they do, that's scary because they got basically no breaks last year. And then why it's especially interesting if DJ LeGonle does not work out. They got a backup that is ready to take his spot and potentially lead this team. And by the way, we know Dabo is not afraid to make a move at quarterback. Not sure if you remember how Trevor Lawrence got the starting spot, but uh, Kelly Bryan, who had led Clemson to a playoff the year before, four games in, gets benched, Trevor Lawrence takes over, the rest is history. Whew, great opening segment. Did AT do it again, or did AT do it again? So those are my eight most intriguing teams. USC, Texas, Nebraska, LSU. That was in the first segment, and the last four that I just hit on were Oklahoma, Michigan, Texas A&M, and Clemson. I'd put Michigan State in the mix as well. Penn State in the mix as well. A lot of really interesting teams. Utah, Oregon in the Pac-12. I'd put even UCLA in the Pac-12 as an interesting team. Uh, Funnier college football ahead. This is what I want to do, though. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, what I want to do is move over to college hoops. Because the summer tours are underway. Once every four years, college basketball teams can take a summer tour. We're going to discuss that. A couple teams are already overseas. Auburn, Oklahoma looking good. Arkansas and Kentucky get there this week. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back.
1: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I'll say this. It's not often that we get to talk college hoops in late August, or mid-August, or whatever it is, early August, whatever you wanna consider it. But this year, maybe the exception here is why. I think most of you know this, but some of you may not. Once every four years, college basketball programs are allowed to take a foreign tour overseas to play exhibition games. The concept is, is, is pretty straightforward, right? Go over there, you get a couple extra practices, get a couple games, your players get to experience some other culture. And once every four years, every school gets to do that. And so because of COVID, we essentially have not had any of those tours in basically forever. Obviously, they didn't happen in 2020 when the whole world was shut down. And they didn't happen really last year. Now, I think a couple teams maybe went to the Bahamas. But for the most part, there wasn't really a lot of teams that were traveling overseas last summer. And so because of it, this year, we have an insane number of teams that are currently overseas in college basketball playing exhibition games. Auburn already started. They've played two games by the time I've recorded here. Oklahoma has actually played two games, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But there are two teams that I have in my preseason top 10 who begin exhibition tours this week, and I'd be remiss if I didn't just talk about them very quickly and kind of preview what to expect. And those two teams are the Kentucky Wildcats and the Arkansas Razorbacks. And so, what I want to do now is just talk a little bit about both of those summer tours. Um, you know, I'm looking at my most recent top 25 in college hoops, which was done shortly after the NBA draft deadline. I actually have Arkansas at number three. I have Kentucky at number seven. Want to talk a little bit about both and what I am excited to watch. Uh, the Kentucky games, by the way, will be on the SEC Network, easily accessible for the casual fan. Uh, Arkansas, a little tougher. They're on Flow TV, Flow Sports, which is an online app you can obviously watch online. But let's start with Kentucky. They actually open second of those two teams that I just mentioned. But I'm very excited to watch Kentucky. They begin games in the Bahamas on Wednesday night on the SEC Network. So if you get basic cable, if you get the SEC Network, You can watch Kentucky basketball, and I'm really excited, and it's not necessarily for the reasons you think. I think everybody, if you follow college basketball, you know that I think the most intriguing thing about Kentucky coming into this year is the fact that they return the National Player of the Year, Oscar Sheepway. You can hate Kentucky, you can hate John Calipari, I don't know if anybody has a higher approval rating than Oscar Shibwe right now. Everybody loves him. Everybody respects him. He had an historic year at Kentucky last year. The NBA teams kind of don't really see him as a modern day NBA player. He decides to come back, and when he decided to come back, the number of opposing fans that were like, "Darn. I don't I don't want to like Kentucky, but I respect the, the heck out of that kid." And so he is back, but to me, when I look at Kentucky, he's kind of the least interesting part of Kentucky's roster for the 2022-2023 season. You know that when Oscar Shibwe is on the court, he's going to give you 20 points and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 20 rebounds, sometimes a little bit more, give or take. And so what's interesting to me is everybody else around Oscar Sheebway on Kentucky in the Bahamas. Again, they open up on Wednesday. That is their first game. So what will I be watching with Kentucky in the Bahamas? First of all, I'm going to be watching the point guard position. And for people who don't follow Kentucky day to day, their point guard is returning from last year. The kid is named Severe Wheeler. He was a transfer from Georgia last year. And ironically, he led Georgia in assists. He led the SEC in assists during the 2020-2021 season. Goes to Kentucky, leads Kentucky in assists. But it was a very inconsistent, by the way, he led, led the SEC in assists as well. But it's a very inconsistent season for him. He was in the lineup. He was out of the lineup. He was injured. He was healthy. He was injured. He was healthy. And even though, again, he led the SEC in assists for the second straight year, he also averaged three turnovers per game. And I don't want to criticize anybody, and it's not here to tear anybody down, but I do think part of when Kentucky struggled towards the end of the season, and we know how the season ended in the NCAA tournament, it was that team started to realize this is not a guy that can beat us off the dribble. This is not a guy that at five foot nine can beat us at the rim like he's not a guy that's gonna attack the rim and finish at the rim and make our, our defenders look bad and he's not a guy that can beat us with an outside shot. And so essentially everybody you know cut off driving lanes made him shoot it eliminated what he did and so I'm just curious to see what he looks like. is he healthy and can he be a more consistent threat getting to the rim because that will open things up for all of Kentucky's other guards. Speaking of which, that's the other thing I'm looking at. Kentucky is a really interesting team because they have a lot of really talented players in the backcourt, but they're all, unproven is the wrong word, but kind of, we just need to see more of them in a Kentucky uniform. First of all, I think it's easy to forget, maybe the most intriguing player I think on Kentucky's roster, CJ Frederick, who transferred from Iowa last offseason, not this offseason like two months ago, last offseason a year ago. Shot 47% from three at Iowa. Helped them to a very good regular season in Luca Garza's final year. Decides to transfer home to Kentucky. Is expected to play a big role last year. Gets hurt and misses all of last year. Well, now Kentucky is bringing back a 47% three-point shooter in the Big Ten. But of course, he is coming off an injury and we will see how he looks in the Bahamas. Also, Kentucky's best freshman, a kid named Cason Wallace. Guy that I'm really excited about. About six foot four. Super athletic plays hard, fascinated to see what he looks like. And then also Antonio Reeves, a guard who transferred in from Illinois State who averaged 20 points per game. And I think he's kind of that classic case of really talented mid-major player who is now stepping up a level to the high major ranks. And how long does it take him to kind of get adjusted to the size, speed, athleticism of the SEC of the high major ranks? Really talented player. 20 points per game at Illinois State 39% three-point shooter I don't think John Calipari and his staff recruit this guy if they do not believe that he can play at the SEC level Uh, by all reports of people that were at the open scrimmage last week uh, in Rupp Arena where they announced the Gonzaga uh, matchup for later in the season the quote-unquote home and home even though they're not playing on Gonzaga's home court you know Everybody said he did really, really, really good, so I'm intrigued to see him. I'm intrigued to see the backcourt. Finally, from Kentucky's perspective, I'll say this. I think Kentucky's most intriguing player is Jacob Toppin. Kentucky fans are going to be mad at me for saying this, but yes, Obi Toppin's younger brother. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, you know I'm, I'm I'm a Jacob Toppin guy. And I said during last season, I said he's Kentucky's best NBA prospect no disrespect to Ty Ty Washington who was a first round pick this year. No disrespect to uh, Oscar Shibwe, Jacob Toppin, NBA size at the, at the wing about 6 foot 8, 6 foot 9, elite elite athleticism. I said he's at, he's Kentucky's best uh NBA player. The thing was, he was kind of stuck behind Keon Brooks, a veteran player. Keon had been in the program. John Calipari gave him the benefit of the doubt, but I think everybody kind of knew that Jacob Toppin was the better player on last year's team, or at least the the one with higher upside. Keon Brooks transfers this offseason. Now we get to see what Jacob Toppin looks like uh, without Keon Brooks in front of him and in a starting role. I think this is a guy that can be all SEC. I think this is a guy that can be a first-round pick, and I cannot wait to see him. Kentucky, again, remember, kicking off their summer tour in the Bahamas on Wednesday. A day before Kentucky kicks off their summer tour... The team that I have at number three in my preseason top 25, it is the Arkansas Razorbacks. They play in Spain and Italy. They tip off on Tuesday on Flow TV, Flow Sports, which is an app you can either subscribe to, download. I forget how much it costs. You are gonna have to pay a little bit of money to watch the Arkansas Razorbacks. To me, though, they are absolutely worth the price of admission. I'm just fascinated to watch them later this week. For people who forget, never forget, They returned just two players off of last year's Elite Eight team. Devo Davis, who's been a really important player for them the last two years. Kamani Johnson, who's basically a role player. And in the place of everybody that they lost. I mean, you talk about an insane talent overhaul. Six top 100 prospects, depending on what recruiting class you look at, including three McDonald's All Americans, as I've discussed several times Nick Smith Jr., Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, and then the three other guys, uh, all top 100 prospects, again, depending on how you look at the, depending on which recruiting ranking you look at uh, Joseph Pinion from Arkansas, Darian Ford from Arkansas, and Barry Dunning, a guard wing from Alabama. Of course, if it was just about the freshmen, that'd be intriguing enough. But Eric Musselman's been one of the early adopters of the transfer portal, and once again, Arkansas cleaned up in the portal. Five impact players out of the portal: the Mitchell twins, Mackay and Mikkel, six foot nine, six foot ten, from the University of Rhode Island, began their careers at Maryland. Jalen Graham, all Pac-12 forward from Arizona State. Trevon Brazil, a guy with real NBA upside, who played at Missouri. And of course, Ricky Council, who began his career at Wichita State, I've been told by a couple NBA people, they believe he is a long-term NBA prospect as well. And so with Arkansas, there's no you know secret sauce to what is intriguing about them. Now, it is worth noting, uh, Nick Smith Jr., maybe potentially, frankly, the number one pick in next year's NBA draft, might not play on this summer tour because of injury. But what's interesting about Arkansas is just pretty straightforward. How does Coach Muss figure out lineups, how does he figure out what pieces fit together, and how far along are we even in that process? I mean, one thing about Coach Moss that I I give him a ton of credit for is he, when things do not work out, he continues to tinker, right? Last year, Arkansas struggled to start SEC play. Kept tinkering with the lineup, tinkering with the lineup, tinkering with the lineup. If you remember, there was a player named Trey Wade on the roster last year. He gets inserted into the starting lineup, and Arkansas takes off like a rocket ship, again, ends up in the Elite 8. And so with Arkansas... I can't sit here and say I'm excited about this player or that player or this player could average 20 a game. No, I really have no idea, and I would venture to guess, and I have not talked to the coaching staff about it, but I would venture to guess that even they don't know who are going to be their big instant uh, or their big impact players in this summer tour, and that's why you take a summer tour like this uh, to see who can have an impact for you not only now in August. But into October, into November, into December. Arkansas starts on Tuesday. And I'll tell you this, I am fascinated to watch them with, again, 13 players, I think, on their roster that believe they're going to play. If you follow Coach Musk, you follow Arkansas. He really plays about six, seven guys. Now, there is talk out of Arkansas in the media circles that he could extend that rotation this year. We're going to start to find out in the next couple days on this Arkansas Foreign Tour. Really quickly, a couple notes uh, outside of Arkansas. One, Alabama actually plays a foreign tour as well this year. Uh, Not really as publicized. I don't know why. Uh, but Nate Oates has a really interesting team as well. Now, they're they're down. There's a couple weird injuries going on with them. But Alabama is going to be really interesting. They have a returnee who was injured last year named Namari Burnett, former McDonald's All-American, fascinated to see how he fits in at Alabama. Alabama has a bunch of imp- instant impact freshmen as well, including Brandon Miller, uh, 6'8", 6'9", forward from Tennessee. I could be mistaken, but Jaden Bradley, who is another McDonald's All-American who committed to play Uh, at Alabama may not be available for this trip so we'll see them here in the coming days Auburn has actually already started their summer tour is already 2-0 and I try to tell you this with Auburn listen they lost two first round picks in the front court in the NBA draft this year Jabari Smith third overall pick to the Houston Rockets also Walker Kessler early round pick I believe he was picked by the Timberwolves traded to the Jazz as part of the Rudy Gobert trade but in the offseason, Bruce Pearl's brought in two big time front court players. Johan Traore, I'll tell you this, he was the the, the lowest ranked five star in twenty four-seven sports. In other words, he was the guy that was the the last five star in their rankings. I'll tell you what, through two games in Israel, he has dropped twenty points in both those games. Janae Broom. Uh, transfer from Moorhead State, really, really, really good player. He averaged 18 and 12 there has been good for Auburn as well. Again, you don't want to take too much out of these tours. You don't know the level of competition. Really excited to see them play. And then really quick, I'll give you one that's a little bit off the radar. Oklahoma, they have a transfer named Grant Sherfield from Nevada who has been really good. Uh, they are 2-0 in games played in Barcelona so far. With that said, I do think it's time for me to get out of here. What an episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast for a quiet weekend in August. We had quite a bit to discuss. With that said, before we get out of here, a couple things. One, college football is coming. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We have some good questions for the mailbag. We'll bring it back on Wednesday. Uh, And also make sure to follow your favorite team specific account. Torres on UK for Kentucky. Torres on the Vols for Tennessee. Torres on the Hogs. For Arkansas, Torres on Auburn, Torres on Texas A&M, we got, I believe now, nine accounts Torres on Arizona, so make sure you're following all of them. It is time for me to get out of here. want to thank you guys and girls for your support. Uh, really fun show and really fun month. You know, before we know it, college football is going to be here. We're going to be talking a lot of college football. Obviously, basketball will be here before we know it as well. We're about 90 days from the start of college basketball season, believe it or not that said, time for me to go. Thank you guys again for listening. And guess what, baby? I'll be back on Wednesday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, you F-head. Unblock me, dude. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast.